This is Primal Screen, a weekly radio show airing Monday evenings on Triple R. Primal Screen is about movies, from the ones on the big screen to the ones you stream. Hope you enjoy the podcast version and feel free to get in touch via the Primal Screen Facebook page or the Triple R website. Hello and welcome to Primal Screen, a show and podcast all about screen culture from movies on the big screen to whatever you're streaming. We're broadcasting tonight from the Triple R Studios on the stolen lands of the Kulin Nation. This is and always will be Aboriginal land. Big thanks to Fee for the last three hours of MAPS. I'm your host, Flick Ford, and I'm joined in the studio tonight by Program Director of Melbourne Queer Film Festival, MQFF, and General Cinema Pest, Cerise Howard. Thank you for Cinema Pest. (laughs) I I will get that on a a card any day now that tells it like it is. So, Cerise, here in Melbourne, we are three sleeps away from having the iconic LA pop rock duo Sparks perform live at the Palais Theatre. Uh, we can confirm tickets are still available mm. for a very bargain price of $99. Something like that. It's almost it's outrageous. It's, yeah, buy two. Just go wild. And this is going to be the first time that the band has played in Australia in over 20 years. Yeah, that's true. It's... I believe they had a gig at the Corner Hotel uh, in the very early noughties. Oh, uh, wow. Just imagine. Imagine. <laughs> well, likely uh, listeners will, will probably be very familiar with the brothers, Ron and Russell Mayo, and their extraordinary, extraordinary creative output over more than five decades, covering everything from glam rock to new wave to synth pop. But what listeners may not know is that Spark brothers have had um, a lifelong connection and passion for film. That they have, yeah. We're not just rabbiting on about them for <laughs> apropos of nothing on this film show. Um, yeah, they're very much the, the film and cinema, uh, film and cinema? Sure, why not? Uh, <laughs> cinema is, is something very dear to them and is um, their love of it, their cinephilia, just permeates their musical output and all of the imagery that they uh, uh, attach to their musical mm. output. Uh, they have always been very visually minded. Uh, they, I mean, they're, they're performance artists and they're very cinematic in so many respects and so many of their songs are mm. profoundly cinematic. Absolutely. And on tonight's show, we're going to be doing a very special spotlight on Sparks and their connection to cinema. And over the course of the hour, you'll hear Cerise's interview with the brothers and the various film projects and collaborations they've been involved in and their own film influences. So keep it locked on 102.7 FM. You're listening to Primal Screen on Triple R. Shall we get started, Cerise? Yeah, I think we may start. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. To find out more about Triple R or to explore many more shows, podcasts, articles, videos and interviews, head to the Triple R website at rrr.org.au. So that was Sparks performing live at the 47th César Awards in 2022. Uh, That's the French Academy Awards uh, where their film, Annette, Mm. um, which was, uh, I think, gestating for quite some time, but the the first film project of theirs that they were deeply attached to and had a script written and uh, uh, you know, written as a musical and actually got off the ground after a couple of um, failed attempts that mm. are well documented in Edgar Wright's Sparks Brothers documentary. But we'll come to those a, a little later in the discussion because we're going to want to hear from Ron and Russell tell us about that more than me, I think. I think so. I think so too. <laughs> um, 
But uh, yeah, I think um, I think we should start properly, yeah. shouldn't we? Should we should yeah. throw to the first part of the interview. So the, the basic format of this is we're going to throw to little sections of an interview I conducted with Ron and Russell Mail about three, four weeks ago, and punctuate it with songs that are connected with each little snatch of conversation. And um, well, let's do this thing, Flick. Let's go. Of course, having been the subjects of a feature film documentary in recent times with Edgar Wright, uh, one of the things that we learnt early on is that, uh, Russell, you were a student filmmaker. Um, I, I'm really interested in knowing whether your love of music and film, the pair of you, uh, emerged in tandem. Um, and, and how was it that perhaps music became the, the foremost vehicle for your joint artistic expression um, and how cinema has always remained in the mix, if you'd like to speak to that at all. It would be wonderful. Yeah. Well, I mean, like you mentioned, we've always liked both things, I think, sort of on separate but, uh, you know, parallel courses. And um, one thing, just on a practical level, it's it's uh, a lot easier on your own to be making music than it is to be making you know, uh, feature length films, cause it's a really, it's more of a collaborative effort and requires a lot of, you know, a bigger team and bigger than it, everything escalates financially to, to be able to do it that way. So I don't know if that's, you know, the rationale at all of why we pick music, but, you know, we have a passion for, for both things. And, um, and so, uh, you know, fortunately at the, you know, this, this uh, point in our career, we were able to do both things uh, when our film Annette finally uh, got off the ground with Leos Carex and then in Adam Driver, Marion Cotillard and all. And it finally came together after a long period of, of development on it. So, um, you know, and just knowing how much went into making that film, how much, uh, how many, uh, details of production were involved in and just to to get that made it's so you can kind of understand why there's uh the two things are maybe separate but you know in a certain way equal uh in 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 our eyes we you know we we always um in our songs in a way we're trying to create even within a three or four minute song kind of a cinematic universe even if it's not about a a film or or a movie star in particular, but just the idea that maybe the listener can kind of picture something, you know, either grand or else a small incident to, to try to be really specific with the lyrics and and the feel of the of the music, so that so that you know that that it almost is like a visual experience as well as as uh, a musical one. The one thing that we learned with film that uh, kind of goes against our nature with music is that it's a completely collaborative kind of situation where you have to kind of give up some of your control. And and the way that we work is pretty uh, tight as far as uh, keeping control of what we're doing in the sense of trying to... uh, 
have like uh, a sensibility that comes through everything but when you're when you're working on a film and especially not being the director of the film you're kind of uh you know working within other people's visions of things we were fortunate enough with Annette where where we were the the main writers of the film as well so in that sense we were controlling things in a certain way but but you have to relinquish some level of of your own personality in order for the whole thing to work and obviously we trusted Leo's character so much and just you know as a a director you know previous to him working on Annette that uh that relinquishing of control wasn't as big an issue as it might have been. And it wasn't your first uh, collaboration with Leos Carax. You'd had him singing and playing accordion uh, on an, an album track on Hippopotamus, which is all about being a French director. Uh, how did this come about? Yeah, I mean, I think the... the uh... How it how it happened was that we were finished about finished with that album, and we were at that time still working with Leos on a, on a net. So we had become really good friends with him, and he knew we were about finished with the album. And he just I think he actually offered himself up and said, "Hey, can I sing? I want to sing on a Sparks album." So so knowing that, we thought it was really cool, and and Ron came up with that sort of conceptual song, which pretty meta of. Uh, a French director singing about the stereotypes of being a, a French director. It wasn't the first time, actually, that we had a song with a director. We had also done a song quite a bit earlier uh, with with the great Hong Kong director, Choi Hark, and I can't even remember what album that was on, but in, in any case, uh, he was in Los Angeles, and uh, we were working on... A project at the time with him and so uh we brought him into the studio and he pretty much just uh gave his uh just his whole background in within the song you know and then we threw music around it so we're always opening open to kind of incorporating directors not only uh, in name but actually uh having them come to the studio you're listening to a Triple R podcast. Discover more podcasts from Triple R exploring science, technology, food, books, social issues, politics, and more. To listen, hit up the Triple R website or your favorite podcast platform. As when you're a French director. What a track. <laughs> yeah, telling like it is, Leos Carax, um, who we see quite a bit of in Annette right yes. at the very outset. Mm. Um, it's a very meta film. So much of Sparks' own material, very meta. Um, I think that uh, is connected to their love of French cinema and especially French New Wave and figures like Jean-Luc Godard. Um, I think uh, there's there's a lot there in Godard, especially how it was so given to breaking the fourth wall in film uh, and it's something that Sparks do regularly in song. They mm. so regularly make their songs um, speak to their songiness. Um, sometimes in the very title of a song, like the number one song in heaven, uh, or in refrains like uh, the, I suppose it's the chorus to um, When I'm With You, where the, the little sort of panic attacky section in the middle when uh, we're trying to express how wonderful it is to be with someone and instead 
the the vocal turns to this is the break in the song when I should sing say something <laughs> special or something, but I can't think of something special you know just um, so many of these songs are so very uh, well Godardian and so and so playful in that same way um, Annette we actually covered Annette on the show uh, back when it was released in 2021 I think this is the start of the year from memory. I can't remember exactly when in the year, but we did review it and you can listen back to that one, of course, on rrr.org.au. But um, that film itself is all about this uh, jealousy that, that kind of is created between this couple um, who, you know, the the poet and, and um, the actor. Mm. Um, fantastic exploration for, you know, if they've been Sparks Brothers, of course, have been working together for over five decades, have known each other their entire lives. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious as to how it works in that dynamic. Well, that dynamic, I mean, you've got uh, the, the chief songwriter, Ron, uh, often writing songs about uh, humiliated um, males of the species <laughs> and their... Uh, thwarted quests for <laughs> romance with females of the species as sung by his very attractive younger brother <laughs> uh, who commits to it completely. <laughs> and uh, how much of it is is dripping and irony is sometimes absolutely impossible to discern because mm. it seems sincere and yet insincere simultaneously, <laughs> that seems to be the real dynamic often. I don't know so much between them because I think they are very committed to their united vision, but just in terms of the material they produce, there seems to be a lot there that um, plays with that frisson of um, you know, one person kind of being the puppeteer mm. and putting the voices of all his frustrations and anxieties and shortcomings <laughs> into into uh, well, the voice of the other. And that's even made literal in that video clip for When I'm With You. Didn't you you seen that one? No, where, I... where Ron is literally the puppeteer and Russell. Oh, I is, have. Yeah, yeah. Yes, of course, of course, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, we'll be talking a bit more about puppets later in the show. Well, we will. And, and uh, yes, all sorts of forms of uh, the moving image arts that are... Uh, connected to puppetry and other forms of uh, animation. Um, but, yeah, Annette, uh, such a, a very curious film. Uh, we, we we reviewed the Sparks Brothers sometime way back as well, didn't yes, we? Yes, we and, did. Yeah, it was released the same year, so we would have done it then. I, I wonder, just out there in listener land, how many people are familiar with both films or one or the other? Mm. If people have seen Sparks Brothers and not Annette... Uh, at the end of the Sparks Brothers, this isn't really spoiler as such, it's not that sort of film, but we, they are on the set of this film with no real sense yet of, you know, will this be well received? It's not even thinking about that. It's just like, hey, we're finally getting a, a film made and it's nice and look, there's Adam Driver and Marion Cotillard. And, and, and of course that it should end up going so um, very well uh, in terms of uh, becoming the opening film of Khan. Mm. But yeah going on to win the Palme d'Or and then um, taking them to the César Awards, the French Academy Awards, uh, which was where that performance of So May We Start came from that we opened the show with mm. that features in Annette. Um, it's, I mean, th their story was already pretty remarkable, but they just seem to keep being more and more remarkable coders added mm. to it. That's a musical term, folks. But... Um, <laughs> You know, who, who knows how many other peculiar um, new directions their art, multimedia mm. art practice will take them yet. But 
something very interesting happened at the CESA Awards that has a peculiarly Australian connection. And we're going to throw to another little bit of the interview right now that will um, tease that out before throwing abruptly, because uh, it's quite a short little segment of interview, to uh, another song, um, a song called Academy Award Performance. And in, in a way that could be referring to uh, Sparks' own French Academy Award performance, if so may we start, but it also might refer to a particular person they met at the Caesar Awards who is known for giving Academy Award performances herself. Let's do this thing. Here in Australia, everyone, I think, should be well aware by now that one of the better-known Australian actors uh, in the contemporary setting is uh, now graces the video clip for the the title track of your most recent album. I mean, that was certainly a a coup to land uh, Kate Blanchett. Um, I understand you met at the Cesar Awards. Um, I mean, that that presumably was quite a thrill, and I understand that thrill went both ways. Yeah, we... uh, One would hope, yes. (laughs) We we think that it went both ways because she's been been great and has been a real buddy since uh, we met her at the Cesars, like you mentioned. We were there for our film Annette that was nominated for Best Music that we we ultimately won, and she was there for... um, receiving a lifetime achievement award for her acting and you know and she came to our dressing room before the show and introduced herself as you know and said uh she's been a fan of sparks since she was youngish growing up in in australia and so uh we were you know obviously thrilled to meet her and we've kept in touch and then uh she not only appeared in the girls crying in a latte video uh, but she also came on stage with us more recently at uh, Glastonbury Festival in uh, in the UK. So that was an additional treat. You're listening to a Triple R podcast. Discover more podcasts from Triple R exploring science, technology, food, books, social issues, politics, and more. To listen, hit up the Triple R website or your favourite podcast platform. Hi, this is Ron Mail from Sparks. And this is Russell Mail from Sparks, and you're listening to Primal Screen on Triple R. And you were just listening to Sparks performing Academy Award performance from the num- album Number One in Heaven from 1979. Uh, Russell Mail's falsetto is just uh, astonishing, uh, remains astonishing live. Um, yeah, we've just covered a little bit of territory there, um, we've brought Australia into the mix. Um, we're going to now journey towards Hollywood, kind of via Sweden, with a bit of Canada in the mix in this uh, peculiar little travelogue edition <laughs> of Primal Screen, uh, all linked through the marvel that is the uh, art of the Brothers Mail across film and music. Let's cut to the next part of the interview. Flick. Can we um, go back just a step there? So you, you performed at the Cesar Awards. You were winning awards there. The film not long prior had won the Palme d'Or at Cannes. There seemed to be certain parallels there with the radio drama you wrote, uh, The Seduction of Ingmar Bergman, which opens with Bergman having uh, a victory at the Cannes Film Festival and then being seduced by the... Uh, possibilities that Hollywood may or may not offer uh, the likes of him. Um, Were you in any way telegraphing your future directions, do you think, when you 
uh, scripted that radio drama? And is there still hope for a film adaptation of that? We we are actually hopeful of a film ap- adaptation of the seduction of Ingmar Bergman. I mean, it was it was uh, I guess uh, kind of prescient in a way that we that the situation with the with the story of of the seduction of Ingmar Bergman, but uh, we never realized that you know a decade, two decades maybe later that. Uh, that we would we we would be at Cannes and so uh, and have the opening night film there, you know, because we are we are such film fans and and the Cannes Film Festival kind of was so iconic to us as we were you know when we were in when we were in university and we would always see you know Godard and Truffaut films and Bergman films and. And then to actually have a film opening there was, and directed by a French director, was something you know we could have never have, have uh, con- conceived of. We uh, the 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 section of Ingmar Bergman was originally made for Swedish radio as a radio music drama, but we did one performance of it um, at the Los Angeles Film Festival, and. Um, so, and ironically, another director, uh, guy, the great Guy Madden from uh, Canada, Canadian director, he narrated that performance of The Seduction of Ingmar Bergman. So again, there was another director involved that we really admire. I, I admire Guy Madden tremendously myself. And one of the... the um... The reasons I so became invested in your music only a few years ago during the height of lockdowns was showing my partner um, The Forbidden Room, Guy Madden's film, which you have a very uh, wonderful song in with uh, extremely um, uh, fun and gruesome uh, visuals to accompany, courtesy of the truly wonderful and deranged Guy Madden and Udo Kier and Geraldine Chaplin in the mix. That's a, that's a pretty winning combination. How did that happen? Well, we've we've known Guy for quite a a while. He, he was he was introduced to us by a person on public public radio in the states who has a a book uh, a book a show about books, which is a pretty rare thing here. And, and so there, there was, uh, there, there was a, a poem by, uh, John Ashbury and it, and it mentioned Guy Madden in there. And I, and then I said, geez, and we told this radio host, so we do we love Guy Madden. And he said, well, I'm, I'm friends with Guy Madden. So he introduced us and we, we've stayed, you know, I've, we're all really huge fans of his work as well. It's so special and strong. And so in any case, when he asked us to, to, if we had, you know, he was kind of bashful about it, but he said, you don't happen to have any songs laying around for, you know, and obviously we wanted it to be something more uh, special than a song laying around. So, so we wrote that for, for the film, it, I think it was it was a while ago, but they called the final derriere, I believe it was called. And uh, we were, you know, just it's such an honor to have a song in a in a film by uh, by 
by Guy Madden because uh, his music it tends to be of a certain kind of thing, you know, and and uh, really fits with the visuals. So to have a, you know, I mean, it's it's still a song called "The Final Derriere," so it's not a proper song, but but it's more of a proper song than than other things in his films. So we we were so so pleased when he came to us and asked us. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. Triple R is listener-supported radio and receives no direct government funding. If you would like to financially support Triple R by donating or becoming a subscriber, hit up rrr.org.au to find out how. So I'm going to wager that quite a few people listening um, <laughs> probably got a very peculiar idea of the film that that song might have come from, and that's only right and proper. It's a very peculiar film by a very peculiar filmmaker, Guy Madden, <laughs> The Forbidden Room from 2015. Uh, much of the footage in it was actually shot um, as a, an installation piece in the Centre Pompidou in Paris, uh, where Madden was conducting seances, it was the name of the project, where he was trying to summon up the spirits of lost films. <laughs> and the lost film being um, summoned there was a, a Greek-American film from 1930, supposedly a musical by a director named Tetos Dimitriadis. So I'm, I'm not familiar with it all. The title uh, is rather... Um, it's not a very 2023 title. It is Fist of a Cripple. Um, and in the clip within the Forbidden Room, uh, Udo Kier plays a character who is, uh, as one of the intertitles, flashes on screen, um, plagued by bottoms and uh, <laughs> tries to get himself lobotomized so that, that this, um, he, he might no longer be so plagued. It is hilarious and bonkers and gory. And on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> of course it is. Yeah. Um, I actually love that you showed this film to your partner during uh, lockdown. Well, that, and that's <laughs> what sent me so down the rabbit hole, actually, uh, the Sparks rabbit hole, because there's mm. so much on YouTube. And then, I, of course, discovered that there was this doco coming up Edgar Wright's making a docker about these two. I thought that really? was I thought that was an odd pairing as well, but it, he pulls it off so well. Uh, I yeah. love I love the Sparks Brothers as a film. Um, yeah, you can come in as a complete Sparks newbie and have an absolutely wild time. Yeah, it's a great I, film. I just watched that again uh, with some friends who hadn't seen it before, and some who had on the weekend, and we all just had a, a whale of a time. And it, it it is an there are so many Easter eggs in there actually for repeat visitors and for people who've got more and more invested in the band with between subsequent viewings between viewings. Um, well, let's throw now to the fourth part of the interview where we will talk about animation. I'd love to ask you both too about uh, other moving image forms. Um, I, I'm sensing that you must have a, a pretty strong uh, affinity for animation in all its many um, uh, manifestations as well. You, you've celebrated Disney characters in song and you have quite a number of video clips with very striking animation. Uh, are you both animation buffs as well? Well, I kind of... You know, uh, I really, you know, it, it. I really like Tex Avery things, you know, and so, so that that's kind of, you know, uh, we've often been asked, you know, would you want to do something, a you know, a film idea we might have had as an animated film, and though I, and though I really love animation, there's something about the uh, 
artificiality of live action, actual singing in a film that that I actually prefer. But you know, I, you know, I I do. There, are, I'm not sure if I you know prefer animated things over other things. But I, but I do. Uh, you know, I do like animation. You know, it 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 all depends on just the quality of of the thing, like with any other kind of film. But for what you know, just speaking selfishly, for what we're doing, we're really trying to do things in a live action setting. It's something that we really, you know, it just it just feels more um, kind of jarring in a way where you see real people singing in a film where it almost seems like more natural uh where it's when it's done in an animate, animated setting and writing songs about mickey and then minnie mouse what what prompted that you know mickey mouse I wrote originally just for the that album just in it's having a kind of a non cynical um you know whatever tale about Mickey Mouse that wasn't making fun of of Mickey Mouse or Disney um, at all. And it was kind of actually the opposite. It was just a real tribute in a way to to Disney. And then ironically, we were asked by the Disney company if we could come up with another song named Minnie Mouse for a for a future album of theirs that was going to be a, one of their character albums that was only Minnie Mouse. And so it was kind of then bizarre that we were actually certified by Disney that we were okay and we wouldn't tarnish the the name in any sort of way by uh, doing a song. So that was the uh, the ultimate stamp of approval for us. They're obviously incredibly protective of mm-hmm. the image of all of their characters. But uh, when the, they were probably going to come after us but when they saw that the that we were doing a a stance towards mickey mouse that was actually affectionate and and and, you know it was a quality song not not meant as a joke and so we uh they they kind of not only accepted it but then sought us out to do uh another song we were really also proud because we we did that song on uh, Saturday Night Live, the, the really popular uh, comedy Saturday Night comedy show in in the U.S. That's really seen by quite a few people. So it was uh, it was it got to be something even more than just this little mm-hmm. niche song about Mickey Mouse. If I might ask you, that's about classical Hollywood. Gone with the Wind gets some mentions across your discography. Uh, You've celebrated Veronica Lake and a strange story about the threat her haircut posed to the war effort in your most recent album. Uh, Does classical Hollywood sing to you both to this day? Well, I think they're just, I mean, one is we really like those films, but also, you know, the, you know, also um, those, you know, those people are, kind of important and, you know, in, in, in a certain way to us. Uh, and so it's just kind of, if there's ways of incorporating cinematic, uh, you know, uh, people in our, in our songs, you know, we, uh, why not? We feel. I mean, we like to write songs that have specifics in, in them. And so, so I think a lot of times if, 
if you hear a proper name within a song, it it's something more striking than just a thing about, you know, clouds or something like that. And so, and, you know, just our love of cinema, it makes using those kind of, that kind of subject matter, you know, easier for us. We can draw from that and really write specific things. I mean, the, the Veronica Lake story is actually true. It was a, a case where during World War II, Veronica Lake, who had uh, a beautiful peekaboo blonde hair hairdo, the U.S. and was copied by so many women in the U.S. along the assembly lines, and their hair was getting stuck in machines during the war effort. And so the U.S. government appealed to her, uh, can you please do something about that hairdo for the national good? And so she obliged. Seems like a slightly sour note to wind up on, but the film projects that didn't happen. Um, is there still any hope for um, May the Psychic Girl, a Tim Burton collaboration, or has that ship long sailed? I mean, obviously the Jacques Tati collaboration's no longer a, a serious prospect. No, that, that yeah, unfortunately, sadly. But um, I, the Tim Burton project, you know, we, we don't know if it will, uh, we'd love for it to, you know, be uh, reactivated at some point because Tim had signed on to to direct it. And then for various reasons, he kind of had backed out of the project along the way of its development. And, but then about, I don't know, 10 years, 10 years or so, or maybe longer, 15 years after we had been working with Tim on the version of it, he came back to us and said, God, I remember really liking that that musical you guys did, uh, My the Psychic Girl. He said, "Can you refresh my memory about the music?" Because he 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 didn't even have copies of the music at that point. He just didn't remember. He knew the story, but he didn't remember specifically what we did. So we we met with him and played him the music again. And he said, "It's exactly what I remembered. It's wonderful. Let's do this." And so that was 15 years after. He had backed out of the project originally, and he said, I'd like to work fast. Let's do it quickly. We said, yeah, let's do it quickly. And now it's 2023, and we're uh, still waiting on Tim. Yeah. So. 30, 31 years. But, but um, you know, apparently it's still in some sort of weird development uh, with his company. So, you know, you, ne- you never know. You never know. Oh, fingers crossed. And and actually, just lastly, because I, I do believe you do have another film project of your own that is in the works. Uh, I don't know if you can yeah. say anything about that or wish to, but if, if you yeah, would. Yes, just very briefly, we the people that um, distributed the documentary, the Sparks Brothers, came to us after that film and, and this asked us personally if we were working on any new musical projects they all loved Annette it's uh, Focus Features is the company and so as a result of that we um, they said we'd love to hear of anything that you guys are up to and we said as a matter of fact we had this specific idea give us a couple weeks to do the pitch for you guys and we did and they loved it and said okay go off and write it now and do all the music so about a year elapsed where we went off wrote all the music for this musical um, and wrote the screenplay as well, presented them. They really liked it. So now we're waiting to see what the next steps are for in its development. So it's uh, 
it's a different sort of situation than with my with um with Annette. Annette was kind of a French uh production that was kind of done more in a you know a, a in a smaller way certain way with with people that were just really passionate about it and and this project is a full-blown uh Hollywood studio that's gotten involved with us so it's a different sort of set of uh rules that uh that apply so but they they like the project so we're hoping that soon we'll be able to have more news about where it's headed Thanks for listening to Primal Screen, a weekly radio show airing Monday evenings on Triple R. Hope you've enjoyed the podcast version and feel free to get in touch via the Primal Screen Facebook page or the Triple R website. 